quick little heads up before we get started today. The first five or so minutes of the episode, we had some audio issues, but we get them taken care of and continue as normal. Enjoy this week's guest, Atomic Buffon. You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn. And I'm Jill Huffman. And today we're sitting down with someone who is living out their vintage dreams in a home with themed rooms ranging from mod, kitsch to Hollywood Regency and so much more. Welcome to the show, Atomic Buffon, Elena Scalise. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. Thank you for asking me. I'm very excited. We are. I um, Last week when we were supposed to sit down and record... I was sick and was not going to be able to do a double header that day. So thank you <laughs> yes. for being very flexible. No um, problem. That is the joys of having a toddler is I get a <laughs> grab bag of things. Yeah. He like brought you the worst Mother's Day present ever. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was really trying to look like I didn't feel bad. You know, you're trying to right. like put your game face on and I get on first Zoom with Jill and she's like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, hi. <laughs> I had like Gatorade and nausea. And I, <laughs> oh, man. So thank you. I'm in much better spirits today. It's a beautiful day already it's today. It's gorgeous here. Yeah. And we it's, are, what is the weather doing on the East Coast? Uh, it's a lovely day in the neighborhood. Um, absolutely. Home of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, coincidentally. Oh. And, um, I mean, I'm not literally living in his neighborhood, but uh, origins are here of Mr. Rogers neighborhood show. But anyway, I digress. Um, it's partly sunny. So it worked out to speak with you guys today. I think. Get you a little Um, better mood lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I've, I am from born and raised in Idaho and I have only ever been to that side of the country one time. Oh, wow. And it's captivating because, you know, I think about how old Idaho is versus how old, Oh yeah. We're yeah. like we're like the little sister. Like toddlers. We're the toddler <laughs> state. Are yeah. you from that you grew up on that side of the country, right? You were in Detroit and then New York and then now Pittsburgh, correct? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. My family's I, from Detroit. Oh really? Yeah. Which part? Like exactly. Well, uh, we found out because of the show, actually, and doing mm-hmm. a little bit of research, my family settled in the Upper Peninsula from oh. Finland. In the late 1800s, and then they kind of just moved down to Detroit. So they are, oh, it'll come to me. But um, Sheboygan, across the river from Sheboygan, is where mm-hmm. my family settled. There's still like a street sign with my maiden name. That's still so cool. On it, wow. Clark Township. Is that it? So are you like Upper Peninsula royalty then? I guess. That's, that's pretty cool. I got to get a parking spot. <laughs> I that's think. amazing. I think so. I mean that. I mean that's just how it goes. It is. <laughs> so, is your family from Detroit? From Detroit? Yeah. Well, not actual inner city Detroit, but the area like Metro Detroit area. Um, we moved around a little bit, and then more recently, I was living in Gross Point, which is a suburb right in Detroit on the sort of right on the cusp of where Detroit ends and then Gross Point begins. So that's where I lived more recently before I moved to Pittsburgh um, because I had 
lived in the Detroit area, moved to New York City, lived there for, wow, probably almost 15 years. Oh, wow. Went back to Detroit um, and sort of unexpectedly decided to stick around and go back to school. So it was, it was unplanned that I stayed. I ended up staying eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I went back to get my degree, kind of did everything in reverse. And then from there, I ended up in Pittsburgh because this is the area my husband is from. So uh, that, yeah. well, that explains it. So you, you went back to Detroit and you got your degree. What did you get your degree in when you went back? Uh, I majored in graphic design. Uh, so BFA with a focus on graphic design. Oh, very cool. <laughs> so cool. I always get like really apprehensive when we interview somebody that has a design <laughs> background. Cause I'm like, Oh God, do they think we're okay? Design wise. Cause I, oh. <laughs> I constantly am just like, ah, uh, you do. You like freeze up a little bit. Like uh, we've shit. been found out. Shit. We've been found out. Well, if you must know, I think your design for your logo is awesome. Thank you. Um, I just think so much of that comes from instinct and anyway, yeah, you know, I think, you know, not to diminish the importance of degrees, but in more recent times, I honestly feel like degrees are, they're almost in this day and age, they've mm-hmm. become like so disposable now because it's always crazy when I meet somebody who's like, you're actually doing something relevant to your degree. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, it's very true. Like I meet a lot of people that'll have like, a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or something and they're in a trade or they're yes. working for mm-hmm. themselves or they're doing something and you're like, Oh, cause we were, <laughs> you know, as like my generation especially was fed that trope of like, if you don't go to school, you're not going to succeed. Oh exactly. yeah. It was like shoved down my throat. Mm-hmm. And now yes. like I'm, I do hair. And I remember when I was first getting my license, people were like, well, what are you going to do after that? And I'm like, um, Hair? Hair. <laughs> You're like, oh, I don't know how I should take that. You're like, uh, what what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna find something else. <laughs> it's just it's uh, well, it's getting better. Like I think now, oh well, obviously we can see it very apparently. Like there's we're running out of skilled people in trades. And so yes. now they're like, wait, actually, guys. Like just learn kidding. Learn how you to totally should become and- a carpenter. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm actually trying to make one of my children become a carpenter, mm-hmm. and the other one to become a mechanic. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Because I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna need those things down the line. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted so to be a mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> like I wanted to be a mechanic, and my family was like, "No, you should be a nurse." Okay, I'll be a nurse. And then I'm like, damn it, I should become a mechanic. Yeah, because now what are you going to do? Like, I know. check my blood pressure? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to, I do call you too much. You do. Everybody calls me. It's like, so, hey, I got a question. You may or may not know the answer, but, and then they'll send me a picture and I'll be like, fuck, what is that? <laughs> They're like, I'm like, there's a lot of blood. I feel like you should just go to the ER. Yeah. Just you need to start sending a Venmo Jill deductible <laughs> to people to be like, no, here, this is actually. Anyways, what does your hubby do for a living? Uh, he's actually, uh, he was the same thing. He had a degree uh, in management and he went into trade, trade work because he enjoys that more and um, there's higher demand for it. But he's a repair tech. He works for a company repairing equipment. And uh, so he works independently for a company, but independent in the sense that he has his own company truck uh, that they provide for him. So 
that's what he does. And he, he absolutely loves it. He's working with his hands. Plus I, like, you know, Jill was saying, like, I have a mechanic now, my own <laughs> personal mechanic and my own personal carpenter and handyman at home. So see, works out for everybody. Everybody wins. <laughs> my <laughs> husband likes to think he is. And then it usually costs me triple. Yeah. <laughs> he just doesn't have the. See, and I'm, uh, my husband is very handy, but I'm also very handy because yeah. I would like follow my dad behind him. And so I, he winters in Arizona. So all my projects wait until the summer and now he's <laughs> home and I never know how to breach the subject of being like, so dad, I need to get into your bully barn to get some tools. You're like, so I have a list of things that I need <laughs> from you, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. And did you grow up like was your family a family of collectors and hunters and doing all that sort of stuff? Oh, uh, no, not at all. Not at all. My mom, uh, she was a RN registered nurse. So I related also laughing to myself <laughs> when my mom, she would constantly get relatives and friends calling. Uh, what is this? These are my symptoms, you know? <laughs> um, uh, again, I wished I had the stomach to go into practical work like that, but I was always very sensitive emotionally and to things like blood. So mm-hmm. But God bless her. Um, and she passed away in 2016, but she was amazing. I mean, she wasn't a collector, but she, she was an RN. Um, and she always instilled just, you know what, do what you love, whatever you're passionate about, just, just do it. Mm-hmm. Growing up with your mother and looking through her photos, did your mother have collections that she had at, while you were growing up or was she not really a collector? Uh, well, when I was growing up, she didn't necessarily collect um, anything in particular, except for there was a time when she was selling Avon on the side, just as a hobby for mm-hmm. fun. And she would get these awards for selling X amount. Um, and they would give this little statuette of, I think it was called Mrs. LB statuettes, if I'm not mistaken. So she would kind of collect these. Sadly, over the years, I broke them. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> Fortunately, she was forgiving, but I'd be like dusting something and one would slide off and oh, damn it. she was good nature about it. But, um, and then when I got older and she was older as well, she started collecting dolls, um, porcelain dolls. Um, I still have some of her dolls from when she passed away. And she, I, her reasoning was when she was young, um, they were poor. She had siblings, there was a total of six of them and I think she felt like as a little girl, because her family couldn't really afford a lot like dolls and whatnot. So she used to tell me that when she was older, she wanted to just collect dolls because she wanted to make up for it. And she also was a sewer and a crafter and very talented at it. And she loved to collect fabrics. Um, She actually had to take out a small storage space when she retired and had to downsize when she moved to a little one bedroom apartment. She literally had to rent out a little storage space just to put her sewing stuff in. Wow. Oh. Sounds like my mother. Uh-huh. <laughs> I told her last time that we moved her, I said, I'm not moving your sewing shit again. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. Oh, man. So, I, funny enough, I used to tease her because I, at the time, don't even think I realized I was a collector. So I would tease her when she'd get like another doll or something. And 
Oh, you know, but in a good natured way, not like making fun, you know, because I knew her reasons behind it. And, and then now I'm like, she's got the last laugh now Mm -hmm. from heaven, you know, from (laughs) from she's laughing. She's like, Oh, you got all these collections now. (laughs) She's like, you're welcome. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Another piece of Hollywood Regency. (laughs) Another pool. <laughs> ah, oh, look at that. You're going to get a record player, I see. <laughs> More vintage fabric. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another mid century furniture set. Okay. All right. I see you. I see you. Well, because you're, I think, was it your mom that she. I, maybe it was on your Instagram that I saw like the, the big eyed 60s, like Madame Alexander's. Did she collect those? No, no, she didn't collect glasses. No, the dolls. Are they called Madame Alexander dolls? With like, they have big eyes, like from the sixties. I don't know. You're I, asking the oh, wrong you person. The, um, I think I know what kind of dolls you're talking about. Her dolls were more very like the classic. Tr- the tradition. Almost like yeah, exactly. Almost like Victorian, like mm. type oh, of dolls. Sure. Yeah, and like, here's a funny story. I got to tell you this uh, real quick. But um, she had a doll and. It had, for whatever reason, the top of its head would come off, like just the top, <laughs> just the top, not at the neck, just right above at the at the, like uh, the skull cap. Okay. Yes, the skull. So cap. it's like a reliquy, but it's yep. a porcelain doll. Exactly. So it would sit on her couch, <clears throat> and when I went back to school, I was staying with her temporarily, and my two cats were with me at the time, and she had her doll set up. Well, my one cat teeny hot rod who's since passed but Love he that. had a strange fetish for eating hair oh, yeah. like hair whether it was on the doll head doll head or my head so I used to literally have to wear my hair up all the time because gross things would happen mm-hmm. and I went into the living room one day and I noticed the top of the doll's head was like just laying next to it <laughs> and I'm going mom like did you do this or what's going on here why is this doll's top of its head just laying next to it didn't think anything of it I put it back on and then I went in another time and I I caught my cat in the act and I walked in on him and and the doll's head was laying next to it and he was like totally just eating like nibbling Uh Uh like he had managed to because I guess the hat he felt was in the way of getting hair so he had knocked it off and was just like sitting there very contently, like nibbling at her hair. Afternoon hair. T- t- like t- this t- is the best day ever. Mm-hmm. It was so wrong. <laughs> I had a cat that was a hair eater too. And she'd just come up and just, it's too intimate. Get out. <laughs> don't eat my hair. Leave me alone. Like, I don't have a lot of it. So I need you to leave it alone. See, this is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> now I have a dachshund. He's 12 and he just makes such a human amount of eye contact. He really it's really does. upsetting. It's he like just stares like, into your soul. Right into your soul. <laughs> okay. Which your mother sounds like such a wonderful person. You talk about her fondly on your social media and you spoke very fondly of her in your interview or in mm-hmm. your uh, pre-show questionnaire that I am sorry that she passed. Oh, thank you. And, yeah. Yeah. Because she says, yeah, she's an like, lady. Incredible. God bless moms. Mostly. <laughs> yeah, moms rule. Yes. <laughs> so I think she kind of got a kick out of it, though, when, when I started getting really interested in the 60s, you know, and like obsessively going through her old photos. And my best friend and I, at the time, my childhood best friend, we would just 
we would, it was like a mixed bag of getting a kick out of it and sort of teasing about it, but loving the bouffants too. Like, uh-huh. like, Oh my God, that's so funny. You guys look so silly, but how awesome do you look? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like that. I have this theory too. I'll make this a two-parter. Um, I have this theory that like collecting skips a generation, right? Like my grandmother collected, my mother did not. And now I do. Okay. Because I think like when you grow up in it, you're just like, this is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> There's so much stuff happening. There's stuff coming in and out of the house. And then my second thing was, I remember seeing old pictures of my mother too. And it's like, you're looking at the person that you know as your mother, but it's not your mother. Like you're seeing somebody completely different. Mm-hmm. Right. To, to, and you're like, what? Where? And I never understood it until I had a child and realized that metamorphosis that happens from pre-mom to mom, like any type of capacity of caretaking, like you're just. Yeah, but I think our pictures as younger um, individuals <laughs> are a little more um, not appropriate no. for our children to see. They're not as uh, styled. You know, you figured somebody had to buy film and get film and do this. (laughs) My daughter found some of me in college. And she's like, "Uh, what are you wearing? (laughs) And I was like, you know, crop top and short. She's like, yeah, but where's the rest of it? Ew. They didn't sell it. They didn't. Whatever. It was half price if you didn't get the whole shirt. Yeah. (laughs) It didn't come that way. Yeah. I didn't. So she, I'm sure, I I always wonder, and I wonder what it'll be like when um, our children are older of like, that thing that your mom was experiencing of being like, oh, I did not think any of this stuff would be popular. Yeah. At yeah. all. What was she styled in, like in those old photos? What was her aesthetic? Um, she was always dressed really nice. Um, she would always have like a really cool dress on. Um, very classic, but also because of the time, I think the majority of stuff when she was becoming like a teenager and an adult, it was the 60s. Uh, so she was dressed in probably more, I wouldn't say high fashion mod, but just more like classic mod, mm-hmm. you know, just because of the lines of it. And and so she'd always look really, I, I would just look and think, wow, you know, they, they just looked so good, you know, yeah. very, very clean and put together. And that was just how it was like on a day to day level. Like my husband and I are always cracking up. Like now you'll go to the store and you just see people in yoga clothes, mm-hmm. like, more Uggs and we're just like, no, just please no. <laughs> you yeah. know, go put your clothes on. <laughs> well, and especially after like the last year that we had too, of just like yeah. where's the occasion? Yes, exactly. Like yes. I'm just gonna stand six feet away from everybody. <laughs> Nobody's gonna see my makeup. <laughs> which I really relished that having to only do my eyes. My eyes yeah, really yeah, had their totally. moment this last I year. I know. Like that's what I told you. I'm like, make sure your eyebrows are always on point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because that really is gonna tell you how you're gonna have your day. Because now they're framed by a mask <laughs> and whatever else you have going on. Cause it's yeah. yeah, it's um it's always interesting to me. I I spend time often sitting and wondering what things from the past 20 or 30 years are going to be collectible. And yeah. and we're seeing it right now with like the, the generation that's way below us, the 18 year olds that are like, I went to a thrift store the other day and it was full of teenagers. And I'm like watching, I like what I wish I was like David Attenborough. Like I could just sit on top of a clothing <laughs> rack and just like watch what they're doing, and what they're picking. And yeah. you, you had that experience because you worked at value village 
Yeah. And I want I want the inside scoop of what it is. It chaos? Is it organized? What was it like when you worked there? Well, we're talking late 80s. Um, if I'm going to put a number on myself here. <laughs> so this was an era and time when it was so easy to go into these places and leave. Like I literally remember having to put stuff back because I'm like, I don't have a trunk big enough for everything I wanted to take home. So, you know, now I struggle, you know, because it's, it's just gotten so popular, which mm-hmm. is great, you know, that it's been, you know, discovered and appreciated by so many more people and generations. But at the time, I think we took it for granted, you know, and, and we're in a decade at that time, it was closer to the sixties. So it's kind of the equivalent now when you're going to a thrift store, you're seeing a bunch of two thousands, nineties or whatever. So um, when I worked there, it was great because I would, I was working in the back and I was a pricer and, and sorter or whatever. And it was one of my first jobs. Um, and I would just, you know, go through a pile of stuff and look at it, hold it up. Oh, this is cool. There'd be like my pile and there'd be like this. <laughs> so I'd say it was like maybe 50, 50, <laughs> like mm-hmm. my, mine, this, this can go to the store. This will be mine. But it was great. And then I would go out and just have a cart full of stuff that was for the store. And then we would just put it back accordingly. And, you know, I see people in there sorting and digging and looking and um, you'd get a range of people, you know, people out of necessity because they're looking for a deal or you get people like us, you know, we, we just had a certain style. We were into it. They didn't know what to call us too, which is funny. I remember going through a checkout line and this girl who was checking us out, this was another time when we were actually shoppers and she wasn't being rude and she was actually being very respectful, but she was like, you know, I don't know, you know, what are you guys? Like, you're not really punk, <laughs> but you're not really like, you know, new wave. Like, what are you, what are you? Like, she's trying to put a, she's trying to really figure out our style. And I, I just think we just looked at her and we're like, we just do our own thing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't find it, you know, it's just thrift store, you know? So it's kind of evolved, I think now, but, um, at the time it was just so much easier and so much more fun to go and look for stuff and find, you know, from so many different eras, you know, fifties, mm-hmm. 60s, seventies, just awesome stuff. And well, at that time too, I mean, it's not as old as it was now and it was still in like, there's some stuff that you find now from the fifties, sixties and seventies. That's like, if I move this a certain way, it's going to crumble in my hands. Yeah. You know, it hasn't been stored properly. It hasn't done. And I, you know, I, I try not to get frustrated when I'm out thrifting and I see a reseller in my area, Yeah, but there's this, there's this one group. I won't get too specific. But it's three of them. And they were all at the Goodwill at the same time in like had split the store into thirds and they were watching the carts come out. Ew. And so they'd either stop them at the back, they'd stop them by the clothes or they'd get to housewares and they had picked everything worthwhile. Oh, wow. And I was just like, see, okay, I get it. I get that's like you're getting stuff to sell stuff to have a business, right? But it's also like you you cannot take everything to resell. Like you have to let somebody have their treasure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because that's the fun of it, finding something out in the wild. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I found a, a candy dish and I was like, I don't know if it's uranium or not, but I'm going to take it home. And I paid a dollar for it. And turns out it is 
So that made it even more special because right. I found it and it was like, I didn't have to like pay an ungodly amount of money for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's getting like, especially in like, I think maybe it's everywhere. I want to say it's our area, but I think it's everywhere right now. And mm-hmm. especially because of the pandemic. People are looking for a way to make an income without having to be around people. Yeah. So just be mindful when you're out hunting and you see something that you know is vintage and it's expensive, but you don't like love it. Like you don't feel pulled to bring it home to your collection. Leave it on the shelf for somebody else's excitement. Just for that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like I found my first ever in the wild uranium glass cake plate. That's our big thing right now is uranium glass obviously behind me. I I figured that because I saw your post about the black light. Yes. And um, I I saw, I think you had posted it yesterday and I read it and liked it, of course. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I scrolled because the first thing I also was wondering about was the black light. And okay, the serial killer (laughs) fascination thinker that I am, I was like, is that that looking for old dried blood on something? Yes, that too. That too. And (laughs) I'm not even making this up. And then I scrolled and someone, you know, you, you gave an explanation. I was like, oh, okay. That makes perfect sense. And this is, I should know better because it's happened before on TikTok. I shared the black light thing and somebody was like, ah, what are you? And I'm like, fuck, I always forget to put that disclaimer. Like I, we need to make a sticker that says the black light isn't for bodily fluids. It's for vintage. Like it's not because it's really, and I, it is annoying to shop with me with my black light. Cause it's this constant, like click, 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 click as I pull it out of my my pants pocket and I'm I'm like no 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 it's very it's I so it. much it's so forensic files though I love that and it's not surprising at all if so you know me. excited when she bought them too she's like guess what I bought us on Amazon I was like what she's like <laughs> little portable black lights yeah and I was like okay and then I always forget to take mine <laughs> I have three I have a purse one a car one and a home one that's awesome <laughs> it's a bad it's bad and we say obsessive but it's it's fun when you're out and you find something that is glowing on the shelf and then Mm -hmm. i also really like it when i'm out and i do find something glowing somebody kind of sees the thing happen Mm -hmm. and then i I lift the glass up and i shine it and they're like oh my god i had no idea it did that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i've never seen one person ever it is well that's what so the my this whole shelf behind us is my uranium glass collection that i keep and it doesn't show up great on film like here i can see it though especially in that far left one i just love it so much it's just it's fun and it's beautiful and it has a great history and Mm -hmm. that's that's my like corning stone of collecting is if it has a great story that goes along with its creation or who had it then i it it has to end up in my collection yeah with it that way when did you start to lean into the 60s for your collections wow that was probably the first era that i was obsessed with to be honest with you um uh again i it started with you know well my grandparents had this crazy trunk of just fabrics on their front porch and the digger that I am by nature, you know, and plus when you got your grandparents, you know how it is. You're just like bored and you're just digging through whatever mm-hmm. you can find to dig in. And I remember spotting this trunk and it looked all mysterious. Like it was this old shipwreck looking style trunk on the front. And so I lift it up and I dig and I'm seeing different fabrics. And, and I was just getting really intrigued around the same time with the 60s. And I had been reading a ton of stuff about the Beatles 
I got really into like, there was this book, I don't know if it's, it's probably out of print called The Love You Make by this writer named Peter Brown. And he really dug into like the history of the Beatles. So it was sort of like being obsessed with the Beatles mixed with discovering all the pop culture back then and, mm-hmm. you know, a little of the politics and all that. So I'm digging in this trunk and I see this fabric and it's this bright yellow and it's got these big flowers and it says flower power <laughs> and all these other like groovy designed kooky sayings on it. And I, and it was like love at first sight. And I take this fabric out. It was probably a couple of yards or so. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to make a skirt out of this for my sweet 16 birthday party. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and again, my childhood best friend and I, we were, we were like two peas in a pod and and she was equally as obsessed. And so we kind of did this journey together with our mod sixties obsession. And so my birthday party was coming up and I, you know, we both agreed, let's do this. Let's have like a sweet 16 sixties theme. And I invited like a handful of people that I hadn't spoken to in like three years. Uh, <laughs> you got to have bodies at the party though. You got to have yeah. bodies. Like, it was like maybe 50% of them came because I'm thinking, uh, well, first of all, probably they were a little alienated because of you got to wear a costume or something that looks like it's from the sixties. Yeah, Number two, I haven't spoken to you in two or three years, but it's okay. Like we can look at it as a reunion. And, um, so a few friends of mine were great troopers about it and they came dressed as hippies. And my friend and I, we went more of like the, the, like, uh, what's that show? Um, is it ready, steady, go? Is that what I'm thinking? There's a sixties mod British show. Oh, and- I know what you're talking about, but I don't know the name of it. Yeah. I think, I, I hope I'm not screwing up the name. I'm so, you know, Googly. like blunt black bangs and haircut, but it was a wig and, it was really hard to find wigs back then. Mm-hmm. So I don't even remember where we found them. It was probably from a local costume store. So we did the wigs and she happened to have this sixties dress that she found at a Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had my handmade skirt that I whipped up on my mom's sewing machine. And I don't know, at the time I also added fringe on the sides. Of I the found skirt. it. It was ready, steady, go. Okay. There you go. Yep. You're correct. So I did some red fringe on this skirt on the sides and it was a mini skirt. And I had this little yellow turtleneck sleeveless shirt. And then my wig, um, white lipstick, uh, turquoise tights and yes. this could not find go-go boots to save our life back then in the eighties. So ended up going to the Salvation Army, I think, and finding um, those old black rubber galoshes. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> Very mod. Yes. So it was kind of like poor man's go-go boots. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, better than nothing, right? Yeah. Very familiar with that DIY <laughs> of finding it where you live. Yeah. Like they weren't super terrible looking, but they weren't exactly what I envisioned, but it worked. And so, yeah, it was kind of around that era when we were just getting really obsessed with it. And then um, again, pre-cell phones. So we really got into also creating these fictitious mod photo shoots just to have an excuse to get dressed up in her parents' old clothes the stuff that we would find at the thrift stores. I mean, what else are you going to do? Imitate photos we would see in magazines. Um, and then we would, you know, take the film when you had actual film in a camera and we would get all excited because we'd do these crazy little photo shoots we'd produce for fun. 
take pictures of each other. We, we added to our wig collection. Like there was this like twiggy esque blonde wig. So I would be in this wig with this crazy kind of mod dress. And then we would sometimes get really creative with um, clothing because we wouldn't always have what we wanted. Like if we, we wanted a specific dress, so we'd mm-hmm. take like a, a scarf and we'd say, well, let's make this a shirt or, you know, a skirt into making it look like a dress. Um, so we were, we were getting into that because, you know, we didn't have cell phones and we were just trying to stay busy and have a good time, you know? And to be um, like, to feed that beast of like being original that I think yeah. most creative people feel from a very young age of like, I just, I need to create something that nobody else has and nobody else is doing. And then born out of necessity of creating your own outfits because of it. I am obsessed with that because it was uh, there as you were talking about making stuff. I was reminded Mm -hmm. of when I was in grade school, the Spice Girls were huge. Right. And they were kind of bringing that mod 90s mix mashed thing together and it was everywhere I had the Barbie dolls. We had this. I had the movies. I had everything right. Mm-hmm. And I've been obsessed with England ever since I was little because my family spent a ton of time there when my grandfather was in the Air Force. So it was just like, okay. But when it came to like making costumes, my mom always made costumes, but refused to make me a Spice Girls costume. <laughs> and we had a dress up day at school, right? So I had to go as something. I think I went as like maybe a hippie or like I remember wearing like rattan sandals and a maxi dress and something tied around my head right something like that something we had lying around the house and i walking down the hall this is like third grade i'm walking down the hall mad and one of my acquaintances is walking towards me dressed as baby spice oh but platforms were the big thing right yes, they were yeah her mom had taken several pairs of platform foam sandals and hot glued them together to oh. like four or five high oh and my gosh. there's this third grader walking down the hall <laughs> with these spice girl plat and i was filled with jealous rage i feel wow. i can see your she was the main character that day. just be like i'm gonna I you're probably like how can I trip you but not trip you <laughs> it's also the same year they had like the reading like read so many points and then you could yeah. have a concert that was put on by the high school kids yeah and they what? had yeah so the, this is where the small town I'm from they had the high school kids were gonna come and perform as in sync what oh it was everybody's dream they were lip syncing uh, you didn't know it was you thought actually the in sync was coming to your grade school but you got that in a pizza party right Jill it was not a reader. I wanted to read. <laughs> this is embarrassing. I walked into the principal's office and cried that I needed the laminated in sync poster and just was bawling. And he was like, you have to read points and then we're going to raffle it. And I was like, that's not fair. And I had this whole having a moment here of like regressed trauma. Oh, my gosh. Uh, gosh, I hate to tell you that I was like, I, I too was a Spice Girls fan, but I was in high school. Yeah. And Sporty Spice was my idol. I was like, mm-hmm. dude, she can wear track pants and a crop top. So mm-hmm. am I. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you can, uh, my best friend Tammy can uh, attest to this that I. Are there photos? Do you guys both, I need photos from both of you of these times in your life. So playing aggressive. I, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty Tammy, sure Tammy's got some. You got to send them to the mothballprophecies at gmail.com. <laughs> Jill won't see it. I'll see it. 
Did you, do you still have photos from that time? I do. I do. I have a handful from that 16th birthday party. They're hilarious. (laughs) And we even like went so far as to cut, do these like life-size people, human cutouts. Yeah. um, And drew black certain outfits. Make it look like there were more people at the party, sadly. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to make you choke. Almost, I just took a drink of my water and almost spit it onto all of my... that's not what we were (laughs) expecting. I was expecting like, you know, like a Fosse dance move (laughs) cut out. But now that when you were like to make it more people, I'm just going to start doing that. I mean, all joking aside about that. I mean, we did. We wanted it to sort of have this feeling of like this groovy 60s party happening. Mm -hmm. And um that was kind of the best way we could make that happen. <laughs> I think you need to recreate this for your 60th birthday. <laughs> I think that you need a 60, 60 on sixties. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. but do the cutouts. I'm going to keep that idea on the back of my pocket for when that time comes for sure. I'm going to come back to you in several you years. Guys will to that too. I'm just going to send oh. you snail mail to be like, my it's 50th coming. birthday. We're doing a fifties 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, nine years from now, we're doing that. Got it. Putting it in my... <laughs> hey, Siri, make a... Sorry if I... I just set my watch off. Sorry if I set anybody else's electronics off. Alexa! <laughs> um, I Well, I love that. I love that your imagination was such that you were like, we just we just have to do this. There's no, there's no way we cannot have these elements around it because that's yeah. just delicious. Like, I, I love those bits of like a little bit of neuroses from childhood that form <laughs> that are such a precursor into like what the person's going to be as yeah. they grow up. Sure. And you, so you've, you have this beautiful home now cause it started with the sixties and Thank then it's you. kind of tentacled out into all the best parts of those decades. When did you, did you have a plan from the start to have like the themed rooms in your house or what were you thinking when you started that process? evolved first of all thank you that's very kind of you um and it it evolved i'd say wow probably in the last seven years that we lived in this particular house that i gravitated to being inspired to do more theme oriented rooms um like there's always been a little bit of a theme in each room but i really like just ran with it <laughs> in more recent times. Um, and fortunately, my husband is a great, great sport and supporter <laughs> of that because he's equally into vintage and the aesthetic of all the other older decades too. So um, I think I'd it'd probably suck if he wasn't. <laughs> you know? yeah. But um, yeah, it, you know, there wasn't any one particular thing, but I've always loved just the old Hollywood glamour. And I've always envisioned like having a bedroom that had that theme going on. Um, Like when you look at the old movies of the glamorous ladies sitting at their vanity and what have you, you know, I always loved that. I just love the way it looks. Um, The the color ones, especially where you could just see all those gorgeous colors just all coming together. You don't see that anymore. Like you open up a magazine or you see an advertisement don't even get me started. Like every shade of beige. Uh-huh. And um, so it's nice to be able to just, when you come home every day, have your own palette, like all your colors that you want, that you love, that make you happy. Mm-hmm. You know, 
that was really something I leaned into the last couple of years with my own home. Mm -hmm. You kind of have this like this grid of just like, well, if I have like that's that same thing of seeing common design now and being like, well, I have to follow this because this is what everybody thinks is beautiful. And then when I finally made the choice in my own house where I'm like, uh, yeah, no, fuck that. I'm putting up floral wallpaper <laughs> and I'm putting up mimicked flock and glitter wallpaper. And I'm I'm just like, I want to enjoy the house I'm in. And then if we ever sell it, it's somebody else's problem. Right. Absolutely. Or they may love it. Right. That's the thing. You I might, hope somebody might, else would be like, oh, my God, it's my vintage gardening dream. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Sign up. There you go. You well, might inspire I hope so. Well, and the thing the I loved thing. too, looking through yours was I'm like, themed rooms are problematic for me because now I'm mm -hmm. like, you can really shop for anything when you're out to fill. I know, Jill. <laughs> I know. I don't need any help. It's already a problem. I know. Every time we interview somebody, I'm always like, hmm, what is Sam going to take away from this? And as soon as I was like, theme room, yep. I'm going to turn yep, into the gonna... lady from the labyrinth. Okay. <laughs> The trash lady. That's where I'm headed. When you guys, when we were starting this project, did you guys sit and like plan everything out and be like, okay, we're going to have this room? Um, well, yes and no. Uh, the bedroom, the, the reason I ended up pushing more for a glam theme, my husband kind of fed into that obsession. Um, and and it's, it's very comical because we have this joke where he'll, he'll sort of get all regretful after putting a planting a seed in my head because he knows I'll run with it. <laughs> yep, same. So we've always had kind of like eclectic vintage where we weren't necessarily doing a theme. Um, so the bedroom idea came up where I, I started to just kind of collect more and more stuff that was going more towards glam. And, and then he, one day he said to me, Hmm, you know, I can envision like a old like 1950s or 1960s bedroom suite, like a matching suite. Cause we had like mismatchy eclectic pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I like this light bulb went off in my head and I was like, Oh my God, you're right. That's a great idea. So he's like, Oh no. So, you know, like five <laughs> minutes later I'm on Craigslist and I'm like, I'm looking for, you know, a specific type of bedroom furniture with a specific color because I immediately in my head, I get this, this whole idea in my head. And long story short, I ended up finding a bedroom set that I really liked. It was kind of like Hollywood Regency style and it was a dresser and two nightstands because I didn't want a headboard or anything. I, I only wanted a few pieces. And I had this, you know, this vision in my head and I emailed the person and they were very nice. And I told them, I said, um, you know, I'm interested in this, but I can't pick this up for like another week or so because I'm in between paychecks. Mm -hmm. And she was so cool. She said, you know what? I'm going to hold it for you. Not only that, but you can have it. Yeah. I'm not kidding. And I said, what? Like, I could not believe it. Oh she, she just wanted to give it to me. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I joke all the time that sometimes things in life are really hard to accomplish and attain. But there are certain things, for whatever reason, in vintage world that sort of just fall into my path. Mm -hmm. And it cracks me up because, you know, if everything in life could be that, you know, easy to come your way. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is because it's older. And a lot of times people just want to get rid of it. You know, they don't they don't know what to do with it. They don't need it. You know, um, especially bigger furniture. It's always bulky and a pain in the butt when you have to deal with dragging it to the curb or having someone take it away for you. Yeah. So we ended up driving about, 
I think it was about an hour and a half away to pick this bedroom set up. And we just loaded it and and we were done. But I'm, I'm a big believer in pay it forward too, because I've donated a lot of stuff for free to people as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Pieces that I will rotate. Like if I get tired of something and I don't need it anymore, or we've run out of space and I'll be like, okay. And I'll just, I'll put an ad somewhere and just, you know, let somebody know, Hey, you, you have a need for this marble coffee table, come and pick it up. <laughs> it's yours. It's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that, I think that it's like vintage finds its own way to like the home it belongs. Yeah, in. Exactly. And when you're interacting with somebody and you've held something, you, I think we all get this thing where you have this piece that floats to the back of your mind mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh, this piece has to go home with you. Like this yeah. belongs in your, your care, your collection. That's, that's the thing. And I never really understood that until the last, you know, several months with doing the show and mm-hmm. hearing that same scenario come up in every episode. Yeah. Every person has this experience of like vintage foster care and rehoming. Yes. And yeah, it's also super comforting to hear that somebody's brain works like mine because my brain <laughs> also does what yours did when your hubby gave you that one little nugget, that grape nut <laughs> of idea. And then my brain does the same thing. It spins and creates its own existence. And then I have to work towards the the finished product in my brain. Exactly. Yeah. I kind of work that way. My husband doesn't give me ideas. I can think my own up. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't ever explain. Like my husband is a very visual person just because of his job and all that kind of stuff. He has to see it visually. So I can't Mm -hmm. tell him like, ooh, so I'm thinking kind of like this with a little of this and then a dash of that. And he's like, no, that's a horrible idea. Mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> give me like three months and I will make it work and you will love it. And then I will come together. He'll be like, oh, okay. Oh, He's I like, see. why can't you just explain it like this? And I'm like, because that's not how my brain works. <laughs> that's not how it is. <laughs> that's not how it's. And you're, and this bedroom came together. So it started, we have the furniture set. Now we're moving into the other decor stuff, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, a, a handful I had already. Um, and it was just like rearranging. Um, and then some of it was just, it took time or I would discover things by accident along the way. Uh, as far as like pink and red, I, I totally just had this vision in my brain. Like it has to be pink and red because those colors to me are just so closely associated with mid-century, those color combos, you know, mm-hmm. they did amazing color combos back then that you just don't see anymore that people are afraid to put together or they just, they don't think it will work, but then it does somehow, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. The, the color palette of that time frame, fifties and sixties okay. is my favorite. So it good. is. It's amazing. It's just, it's well, and it's like you said, it's quintessential. Like the bedroom you've put together is quintessential teenage girl, from that time frame, like you could walk literally it's you've created a beautiful living time capsule that is curated rather than purchased over the lifetime. Thank you. Um, yeah. And then as far as the teenage girl bedroom, that's our second bedroom. Um, that one, that's more of like the green and the yellow and the pinks. Um, like our bedroom we do is more of a glam Mm-hmm. But the the guest room slash second bedroom slash my stepdaughter's room was the one that is is sort of like the rock and roll teen meets Annette Funicello beach party aesthetic. That's so cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, and that bedroom set came about as a complete accident as well. 
wasn't free, but it was really, really inexpensive. Um, somebody had messaged me on Instagram and uh, one of my followers, and she said, were you aware that there is this sale uh, going on at, at a store? It's in Pittsburgh. And I had been a fan of this particular store. They've since closed down, but they specialized in mod furniture. Wow. And I had been in there over the years on and off, always loved it. And actually always ogled this bedroom set in particular. And um, I had a few days prior to this message, this gal sent me was talking about how I wanted to finally take contact paper and cover some of my pieces of furniture in the guest room to look like it's Broyhill early seventies. It's called, I think chapter seven, and it's this green and white, like space age atomic looking bedroom set from that era. And I had made up my mind that I wanted to do a DIY and, and I found this awesome green, shiny apple green, lime green contact paper and white contact paper. And I had literally just started cutting out the pieces for a bookshelf when I get this email. So I was lucky that I hadn't started on the dresser and the nightstands or else I would have been like, oh my God, I have to pull this all off and sell it. (laughs) (laughs) So she messaged me just in time, tells me about the sale that they're they're having like a huge liquidation because they're going to go strictly online and get rid of their brick and mortar business And I look and I see this set and I'm going, oh my God, like my eyeballs were popping out of my head. And I run over to this store one day and I speak to the, one of the owners and long story short, we, he created a great deal for me that I could not pass up. So it was, it was dirty, but it, nothing that some elbow grease didn't take out. There was cosmetically, it's an excellent shape. It was just kind of in the nooks and crannies of the molding on the front, like the the trim. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent like hours, you know, just scrubbing it up and getting it really clean and shiny. And then unbeknownst to me, this was after I bought it, I discovered that these color plates that were green and yellow are reversible. So I, I get this oh set at the time, the plates were already, the, the dresser was already in all yellow and then the nightstands were in the green. So I'm just assuming that, you know, they bought it that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at it and I'm already, I had already decided to take it. And then the guy says to me, and I think I'm not sure, but I think those plates are reversible. So sure enough, I look in the drawers and I find one of them and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. What a bonus. So I, that's when I started unscrewing all the little handles and kind of switching them around to be, you know, like checkerboard style, green and yellow. But yeah, that was a nice little surprise. Why don't they make stuff like that anymore? (laughs) I know. know. Come on. All the main heads of interior design furniture. I know. I want Pyrex (laughs) to bring back pattern dishware again. Right. Pattern and color. Yes. Read the room, companies. Vintage is having a moment. (laughs) Get on it. I'd be happy to give you my dollars. Yeah. I don't want another Star Wars Pyrex set, okay? (laughs) I want Atomic, okay? Jeez. Give me what I want. Well, and that's, you know, to find those pieces and especially to have them in like almost perfect vintage condition. Yeah. To where they weren't destroyed in some child's bedroom or, God forbid, painted shabby chic by somebody exactly. in the 90s. 
or like chalkboard paint or something oh, over the top of it. <laughs> Did you see that walnut dresser yesterday at one of the sales? It was a big community yard sale and they had this, they had like two sets of walnut waterfall stuff. One that was in perfect condition and sold. And then the other one was the dresser that had been painted pink and white. And I was like, oh, so I'm sorry. Somebody did this to you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow. And especially the waterfall style. Oh my gosh. Like, let's just don't. Let's, let's oh. Google before we paint. Also, yeah. you know, it's okay to leave things <laughs> exactly. in their original form. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, Ask if it was like trash to shit, then yes. Okay. Do whatever you want. Right. But if it's still in good condition. Yeah. Reach out to an older person around you. Or yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> the mothball painting consulting company. That's what we are now. <laughs> We're branching <painting>. out. <laughs> so you had these two bedrooms that you were creating. Was the rest of the house kind of falling in line with the theme? Or is that kind of where your collections just kind of live eclectically? Yeah, I guess the rest of the house is probably a little bit more eclectic. Um, but probably definitely still leaning towards the 60s mod. Uh, like the living room. We definitely, it, I would say it's primarily 60s mod. There's a couple things that are thrown in that, you know, like there's more of like a Hollywood Regency style armoire mm -hmm. that I finally painted, like after owning it for 20 years. It was one of my first grown up pieces of furniture when I lived in New York City. And it wasn't until literally like two or three years ago that I, I decided, you know, I'm going to paint this. And it was always just the most boring shade of, just like a natural wood. And I have no issue with natural wood, but on this piece, it was just, there was just too much potential to make it fun mm -hmm. with colors mm -hmm. and with our decor. And again, my husband planted that seed too, thanks to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he had kind of hinted around like, you know, that I think that would look better, a different color. And I go, I, and I always, I, I blew it off for the longest time. I said, I know, I know I've been thinking of it myself, but you know, I think it was just a matter of somebody else like pushing me to do it. So, yeah, it's generally how it happens. Finally did it. Well, and from the looks of like the interior of your home, like structurally, it does not look like it is a house built in the 60s. Is that correct? No, it's not. This house is um, built in, I believe it's the 20s. So it's almost 100 years. It's probably 100 years old now. Oh, wow. I was probably like early 20s, mid early, you know, somewhere in that region. Um, so we actually rent this house, believe it or not. And it belonged to our landlady's grandparents. Oh, wow. So she, because of sentimental reasons, um, and I think because she also respects and appreciates, you know, retaining the character of old homes. Um, she was very kind about letting me paint the walls inside this house too, to kind of bring out, I think, the beauty of the home that existed. Mm -hmm. uh, there's like these really interesting valances that are wood. And she said her grandfather made them on the oh. first floor. And they're they're scalloped looking. And they're black. And I loved that they're black. I know some people might not be into like black trim, but I love like pastel colors with black mm -hmm. because it reminds me of like that old 60s lingerie that you would see like yeah. in camp you know, little, the, the little pinup magazines and whatnot. So that was like the first thing that went through my brain was I got to paint these mod pastel colors to bring out the black. And um, it, there's other elements about it that I think are kind of more arts and crafts in this house. 
So it's not so much mod, like a 60s ranch style carrier, but that's okay with us. We're like, we we just love the character of it, even though there's, it's probably more of an arts and crafts style. Well, and I only, I only bring that up for that fact of, you know, I think some people think you have to live in a house and style the house in the way that the architecture is, right? Right. When really you can bring any features into, because all all areas of design pull from every decade, right? Yeah. And you just work with, I just think it's a beautiful, your house is a beautiful representation of working with what you have and like growing where you're planted and just being like, okay, yeah, maybe. And the thing is, is a family in the 60s could have very well lived there and done exactly what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so true. Absolutely. Like, I think a lot of people don't realize that you, you kind of just make it your own, you know, just, just putting your own, what you love in it, you know, what reflects you and your personality. And there's no rules. Like, like, even though I'm into themes right now, like it does not have to be a theme. Um, I know some people are really particular about, they don't like mixing eras. Um, It's great if you do, but you know what, it's okay if you don't. You know, um, I just feel whatever you love and whether it's sentimental value or you just happen to love looking at it, (laughs) you know. Plus, it's also, you know, we had somebody on the show, um, Shermie, Miss Shermet of the Surfer Jets. And we Mm -hmm. were were having this conversation and it's like people didn't have an instant capsule collection in the 50s. They bought it over the course of their lifetime. And it was that little nugget that just like flipped that switch in my brain of everybody's collection is eclectic. And if it's not eclectic, don't be pompous about it. Right. Exactly. Like don't, yeah. Don't be this whole, I just vintage gatekeeping has like no space at the table. Like it's no. And then it's like annoying too. Cause if you're not strictly vintage, it's like, Ooh, you're a poser. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, right. Exactly. That's, I get all peeves too. Yeah. No. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I know I was going to say, I agree. You know, there's that mentality too. And and for me, it's like, I've got something from Amazon prime, mm-hmm. you know, sitting next to something I bought at Ross, mm-hmm. which is the equivalent yes. of Marshall's next to something that's like 70 years old. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, anything goes really, it really does. It makes me want to carry a spray bottle. And whenever somebody starts to talk shit, I just want to no, I'm just like, I'm not going to pass a good deal, whether it's vintage or brand new. Right. If yeah. it makes me smile, I want it to come home with me. Yeah. Yes. That's it. And if it makes me feel good. <laughs> it's yeah. as simple as that. Which I feel like my office is kind of a true representation of how I collect. Yeah. Because it's very eclectic. I have like Bob's Burger stuff. I have postcards. I have um, these two rabbit, like the fancy cats. Sophisticats, <laughs> so we call them. Aww. But I have lots of eras that exist in here, and I think some people would absolutely abhor that I do that. But Aww. makes you happy, and that's I think all that great. matters. Mm-hmm. Well, I found like Jill, the chairs we sit in yes. are. Uh-huh. I'll show you when we're done doing the recording. But I found yeah. both of them at the DI, and they're the vintage nineteen late fifties, early sixties office chairs that Aww. have like the bright cushions and the tweed back. Yeah. They're so cool. That. Yeah. That's awesome. I got the, both of them and I wheeled them out of the DI and people were like, what are you? That's an old office chair. <laughs> and then they'll be like, what are you doing with that? So well, I'm going <laughs> to use it to sit. They're very comfortable. And, yeah. They're really comfy and they rock. Mm-hmm. I really like I, that. My husband, <laughs> he, they mm-hmm. lean back quite far, right? Where you're going to feel like you're dying. So he was sitting oh, down yeah. here one day, I was working on stuff and he, I see him out of the corner of my eye. I do like the <laughs> turtle on the back flail. Like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, careful. They got a big stretch. <laughs> got a big stretch. What are, so you've, you've, you have these theme rooms and you have these things, but I'm curious to know 
what are you always buying? Like, what do you, when you see something out, what are you always going to bring home? Oh man, I'm a sucker for poodles, like poodle themes. Like it just, uh, I really am trying to put a cap on that. (laughs) (laughs) So many poodles things, theme things, but um, I'm always a sucker for a poodle uh, from the fifties or sixties. And um, we also have a weakness for vintage radios and record players. Mm-hmm. And that's where my husband's handyman talents come in to play a lot because he will, uh, we have some, you know, vintage pieces that he's been able to restore or clean up or fix up to get them working. So that's, that's a huge bonus, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, and then more recently, we've talked about possibly converting some of them into Bluetooth so that oh, yeah. people can enjoy them with, you know, their, their, with their phones and whatnot. And Jill's going to have need a live look tutorial they found. Yeah. I've got two. I've got one that's like a long, like credenza like one, and it's got the radio with the speakers. And my husband, bless his heart, thinks he's going to like gut it and redo everything himself. And I was like, let's just use it as a shelf for displaying objects because we know what's going to happen. And I'd rather just skip to that right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the other one I do have, he, it does work. So that's all awesome. good. Yeah. So have you guys converted anything to Bluetooth yet? Like with any, or we is that just one. your goal? Well, we've done one little teeny weeny radio that's in the bathroom actually that he did for me because I used to just play my music on my cell phone, which of course was terrible. Um, experimented and we had this adorable little black, uh, transistor radio and we, he took like an old, not an old one, but old as in we weren't using it anymore. Bluetooth speaker from like five below. And he took the little elements out of there and, and put it into the little transistor radio and bingo. So he even created like the little charging port. Um, Does he have a YouTube tutorial <laughs> on this? <laughs> I'll, I'll undo it and have him do it over. Just yeah, that would be so great. That. That'd be super helpful <laughs> for me. Record it as we go along. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so it's great because then I just I turn it on and I can connect my phone. Um, you know, and it does still kind of have that transistor charm sound to it. Ah, that's, man, that's awesome. You know? And sense. it's great because then I'm listening to contemporary, something new or old, you know, blasting out of this little, this radio, you know, I would get it and just play like old school rap or Cardi B. Yes. <laughs> out of it. Yeah. <laughs> just to really make the inventor roll like, around. Yeah. <laughs> playing WAP for the neighbors to hear, but it sounds like it's coming out of a uh, megaphone. Yeah, I know. That'd be great. You like yeah. this? It's old. It's vintage. I'm yelling. It's vintage. <laughs> it's Bluetooth now. We redid it. Holding it up. It's fake light. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. My neighbor's old. He would throw something at me over there. <laughs> you goddamn good. <laughs> You don't hear that anymore. No, and he doesn't actually use a cane. He walks around with one of those grabbers as a cane. Oh. So it's extra threatening. It's got like a six oh, foot like reach. Switching it. <laughs> Coming at me. <laughs> and he sneaks up on you. He's real quiet. So if I'm out in the yard, he'll like come to the fence and he like I'll hear the chain link and then I hear, hey Sam. And I'm like, <laughs> I have a bra on. I'm like, hi. 
covering yourself. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> and then it's usually a long story. Like he he cat he cat what? I just had a stroke. <laughs> he caught me at the fence for fifteen minutes to tell me that he was getting a sprinkler system was the oh. whole point. But I was like, okay, we'll talk about this. <laughs> He's like, Bob, I'm getting a sprinkler system. He's like, my granddaughter tells me I water the yard too long. And I'm like, you do. <laughs> and he goes, but I tell her, who's the farmer? Because that's what he was before. He farmed hops. Who's the farmer? Long story short to that. Do you have like a luckiest find in your vintage collection that you couldn't believe happened? I do. Um, well, there's a few, but I think one of my favorites is a record player um from 1956 and it was it's it's called the brand was called voice of music oh and it's very atomic looking um and it had actually funny enough been on my holy grail list so you know how we were talking about holy grail lists and things we make a mental note of that we would love to have one day but we don't necessarily think we're going to ever find them in the wild or Mm -hmm. any anywhere for that matter because i'm i i will I'm shameless. I will go on eBay. I will go on Etsy, wherever, when I get my mind set to something. Right. But these things were by accident. And I found this completely by accident because I was uh, replacing a, a newer record player that was in the bedroom. It was actually just kind of a reproduction and it wasn't working right anymore. So I thought, well, let me just save this or I'll give it to a friend of mine. And then I'll just find, a, maybe I'll go with a vintage one this time something in a color because I wanted something colorful, but not super expensive. So I went on eBay one night and I was just like looking and scrolling and, and I stop and I'm going, wait a minute, what did I just see? You know? And I look and I zoom in and I see this, this record player that had been on my Holy grail list. Oh God. Um, it's got like these atomic legs that come down. Um, it, it's black. They had different colors. I think one was kind of a natural wood and then black, and there may have been one other natural color. And then the speaker cover was in like a contrasting, beautiful metallic goldish tone. Oh my God. So I zoom in on this thing and I'm, and I'm going, wow. And it looks like it's an excellent shape. And then I hadn't seen the price yet. And I was kind of preparing myself to just walk away. Um, and I zoom in on the price. I'm like, that is super reasonable. Like I, it was beyond reasonable. Like I couldn't like, does she know what she has reasonable? Uh-huh. So I didn't want to draw attention to that, of course. Cause like, you know, we, <laughs> you don't, you don't always want to draw attention to that. You don't, you don't want to Google all the time. Ahead of time. Cool. Got to keep it yeah. cool. Yeah. You can't say anything. So I emailed or no, actually I'm forgetting a crucial point. My next challenge was looking at the location. Because I was like, oh no, where are they located? Can you believe they were an hour away from me? Oh Pick my up? God. Yes. So That's I emailed the person, the seller, and I said, okay, I, I need this. I'm get, I'm your buyer. Um, I will pick this up. So of course my husband was equal parts excited and like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> got her mindset on picking this up. So we uh, made the trip the following Saturday and it was like an hour drive, but we love our day trips. So we turned it into a you know, fun outing. And um, the lady had said that it was working prior to her husband carrying it up the stairs and that something jiggled. 
So at this point, we we haven't worked on it yet. Um, my husband is going to at some point probably look at it and see if he can you know restore it or get it working. It does turn on, and it had this really interesting little knob that glows, so Whoa. that you know it's on. yeah. And I mean, we're we're talking 1956. Wow. So just these little details that were so interesting and beautiful. And the only thing that was missing on it. Um, it had a beautiful logo, like this V and an M, very atomic looking. And the V was missing. So I started researching one day and there I discovered there was an entire website dedicated to these like voice of music cult, like following people, not literally cult, but you know what I mean? Just like yeah, yeah, yeah. people that are absolutely rabid fans of this brand and this these, these stereos and that they still make these parts, if I'm not mistaken, or they have like a lot of dead, old, new dead stock. Yeah. Like a whole catalog of things that you can buy for these record players. So I ordered a reproduction manual um, and I got a history of the record player. The, the, the man who ran the website, he gave me the lowdown. I think it originated, believe it or not in Michigan. Um, and then they had the logos in stock. So I was able to, to gently take off the old broken logo and put the, and it was also dead stock new. Oh the my logo. God. Yes. I, I could not believe it. It just all fell into place. I, I couldn't believe it. I, again, just like you were saying, when something is just meant to be coming to you, the right person. Um, so then I, I put the logo on and touched up. It had very faint, faint, like, uh, like missing paint marks here and there. And I was careful because sometimes if you overdo that, that can look really bad, like make it look worse than better. So yeah, it's in the bedroom, our, our bedroom, our main bedroom. And it's just beautiful. That's That's probably my favorite find. Well, that's just, that's one of the things where you can't, you can't top all the feel goods you're, you got from that ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. No. Wow. It was meant to be, but. And exhilarating. Holy shit. The whole thing. Yeah. And and, and strangely enough, the speaker cover was even still intact. Cause a lot of times those, those speaker covers will have like a tear or some kind of fraying going on. Nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with it. I I was in shock. (laughs) Yeah. What an incredible, That's I awesome. just, wow. And then to know that it's going to live with the absolute best people that it could live with mm-hmm. yeah. and to just get all beautiful again. And it's like a happily <laughs> ever after story. Like my right. Family, my forever family. Yeah. Until we, uh, we get old and decide what are we going to do with this? But the best yeah. estate sale known to man. I know. Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure it goes to someone who will love it. The best estate sale. Yeah, yeah, the best estate sale. (laughs) So you do a really great thing. Before we get to the estate sale corner today, I want to talk about this cool thing that you offer. And it's on, is it Peer Space? Is that what it's called? Yes, it's on Peer Space. Which is that. It's a website that people can post their homes or different rooms or spaces or studios that they offer for people to rent space if they want to do photo shoots or any kind of production. Um, you can decide what you want your space used for. So you're in complete control. Um, and you also can control like how many people come in as well. So for, for me, I just thought it'd be kind of fun. I, I for even don't even remember where I got the idea. I think I saw an advertisement for it and I decided, I, Hey, why not? Let's, let's go ahead and 
see if maybe somebody might find our kooky interior interesting enough to rent space to do like a pinup photo shoot or maybe a fashion shoot or, you know, something to that effect. Um, I've had a few people contact me, but it was during the pandemic. It's -hmm. still a little bit iffy and cautious, but yes, someone wanted to take a photo in a crazy looking, you know, beach blanket bingo meets Brady Bunch bedroom, (laughs) you know, just shoot me an email. (laughs) We'll talk. (laughs) They are. It's the coolest. And we'll have, of course, we'll have that link on our website and you can find it on Elena's social media at Atomic Buffon. I highly encourage everybody to go find her there because her collections and seeing how things are curated gives you a really great idea on how to do it in your own space. Different items look for also really fun, like Google, like treasure hunt. Like oh, find yeah. something in a background and then go see if you can find it. On yeah. Google. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Flex that Google muscle. True. Um, another muscle that Jill constantly wants to flex against me is her fist to punch me square in the <laughs> face at every estate sale walkthrough. Oh my gosh. Because I, um, I ask in our pre-show questionnaire about everybody's kind of favorite stuff. Right. And it's for kind of for, to get to know them as a collector, but also, um, as Jill would say, to rain terror upon our guests and to make them hate me at the end of the show. Yeah. So uh, any everybody who's doing a drinking game to this one, get, get ready. Your, get your stuff ready. Get your croys and your white claws ready to go. <laughs> For those of you that are new here to the show, every week we do an estate sale walkthrough. It's completely made up, manufactured. The estate sale does not exist, but the items are very real. And most commonly, I do research to find them on eBay and Etsy and all of that stuff before we sit down to chat. The rules of the game are there's different scenarios. You can only pick one item unless otherwise indicated from each scenario. Are we ready? No. You have to choose, Jill. She tries to get out of it. (laughs) Today we're shopping at a large multifamily estate that's being held in a warehouse. One of our favorite types of sales. Everything from the houses are out and listed on tables. It's kind of a cluster, but we love it. Walking in, we head over to a table filled with different shaped hand decorations. Singular hands. Do you choose the ironwood hand that's kind of mid-century with the long fingers? A porcelain glove mold for rubber gloves? Or a McCoy art pottery hand? Which do you choose? I'm going to go McCoy. Oh. (laughs) I'm surprised. I know. This one was an easy one. What about you, Elena? I'm going to go with the first one you mentioned. The Ironwood hand. That's a good choice, too. I am, of course, forever the weirdo, and I'm going with the porcelain glove. As soon as I saw this, I was like, oh, I need one. Yeah. (laughs) This is the other thing. When you make these up, you're like, oh, oh, I need that for my collection. Keep an eye out for it. (laughs) Hands in our baskets. We're ready to go. We head over to the next table. It's filled with some of your favorite things. Vintage poodle items. Uh There are two that catch our eyes. There is a mid-century ceramic poodle that is a photo holder with a slinky-like back with rhinestones and all the accoutrements. Or a pair of long neck poodles with rhinestone eyes and collars. Oh, which do we choose? I this get is too a, cocky on the first I one. Do. I feel like there should be Jeopardy music here. <laughs> Great. Lay in some choosing music, if you would, please. It's a tough one. Um, both are adorable and they actually exist. And I think 
for me, for my obsession of like vintage postcards and photos, I'm going to go yeah. with the photo holder poodle. She's multi-use. Uh, I think, oh, I'm going to go with the pair. The long neck. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. For the, the entertainment center shelves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm going to go with the, the photo holder as well. Mm-hmm. Like you, because I don't have one. <laughs> oh, I always feel extra special when I include something the guest doesn't already own. Yeah. Yeah. That only happens a couple. Damn times. you. Now I'm going to go. Google it. <laughs> Sorry. Here's your grape nut. Now go find it. It was on eBay. I think. We look over the rest of this hell and we head for the exit. This is a two-parter, okay? Underneath one of the tables, tucked to the side by the entrance, are two sets of small stacking tables. So this is, we're going to choose the tables first and then what we're putting on the tables next. Two sets of stacking tables. Do you choose the boomerang set of three stacking tables or the guitar pick shaped set of three stacking tables? I hate you. I'm sorry. Mm. What are you going with? I am going to choose uh, a boomerang because it's one of it's just classic. I know. Ooh. Boomerang slash kidney bean shape. I <laughs> I think I'm going to go the guitar pick. guitar pick. Yeah, but I'm not confident in that choice. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I'm going to go with the boomerang. Ooh. I don't have enough boomerang shaped things in my home. So here's your I'm ticket a sucker for a boomerang. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's either that cute. or the surfboard shape is like my, yeah. Oh, see if you would have said surfboard, surfboard, that's what I would have gone with. Okay. This, this is the second part next to the table is boxes filled with vintage magazines as well as like catalogs. Okay. I already hate this question. One side is vintage like fashion magazines interior design and like teenage magazines the other one is vintage user manuals playboys and art magazines which do you pick it's horrible this is to display (laughs) on your now stacking tables this is like basically yeah wow i know i'm sorry this is my um, own personal hell. Thank uh-huh. you. They're in great shape, too. I they're bet they beautiful. are. I bet they're pristine. Not a mouse turd in sight. <laughs> flat, flat pages. I am are you sure the Playboys aren't thumbed through, though? Like they the probably page? are. So well, you know, there might Get your be black little, light. There might be some pages oh, God, sticking together on that Get one. Black light and have a look. <laughs> Cursory <laughs> glance at the old Playboys. I am going to choose... The probably the ones with the vintage Playboys and teen magazines and all of that stuff because the imagery and the 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 graphic design work is so great in those. That's probably what I'm going to choose. I hate myself for it because the other box that also that industrial like man graphic design from that time yeah. is really great. I'm gonna go with Frank. <laughs> Which one are you gonna pick? Oh, she's passing the buck to you. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you can't mix and match from each box, right? You're saying you can only take one box or the other? Is that they're, correct? They're wheeling and dealing at the end of the day. The price is right. But I've already picked I'm, mine too. I'm going to go with the box of fashion and interiors. Mm-hmm. And if I would be allowed, I would probably take the user manual stuff just because I know my husband would love something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
We'll allow it. But if I can't mix and match, then I'm going to go with that box that had the the fashion in the interiors. Damn. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go. I already hate my decision, but I'm going to go with the designer in fashion as well. Okay. I already regret it. Doesn't matter. Either way, I was going to regret that decision. The booth owner sees your disdain and decides to let us take both boxes. Oh, good. We're going to pick through. He them saw in the, the car. tears coming. He, did. he looked at me. She's like, Yeah, she's not a crier, but she's crying. Also told me I was a terrible friend. Okay, sure. good. good. Said no magazines for you. <laughs> you son of a bitch. That's all. There's no more torture. That's the last, the last scenario. Oh, that one was really hard today. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. This was seriously the best. I and we could talk to you for a million more hours to Thank hear about you all your so collections. Yes, so fun. It Thank was you. a lot of fun talking to you ladies. It was great. Yes. Yes. Not a problem at all. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You guys are super fun, funny. <laughs> Thank you. And I love being able to blab about the past with people. So we'd love to have <laughs> yeah. you back on to blab more. Yes, we would. It's great. To hear more about the items we talked about today in Elena's episode, stick around for this week's Curio Corner. I absolutely adored her whole house. She was so fun. And I just love that she's living her dream. Yeah. Well, I love that they've taken a house that isn't necessarily, and I say it in the interview, aesthetically mid-sench and like that whole mm -hmm. those decades that are existing that aren't in their house then when i found out that it was a rental and the landlord was chill with them doing that also yeah. just and well and it just proves to you don't need to live in that style of a house to bring in those aesthetics mm -hmm. into it well and i so i very rarely see poodles out and about right <laughs> and leading up to her interview i saw poodles everywhere like an omen like an angel number. That's funny because I have seen Mr. Rogers. I'm like, do I need to get more grandpa sweaters? Yeah, you do. I do, actually. They're the best. Yeah. But so she did mention Mr. Rogers in a couple other shows. But um, we're going to talk about Mr. Rogers. Love him. Everybody's neighborhood should be like that. All right. So this uh, article came from Britannica.com. Fred Rogers in full. Fred McFeely Rogers by name. Mr. Rogers. McFeely? McFeely. Oh. Right. Wow. Um, he was born March 20th, 1928 in Pennsylvania and died in February 27, 2003. Oh. Um, he was an American television host, producer, minister, and writer best known for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which aired from 1968 to, they say, till 2001. I mean, I believe it. I mean, yeah. Wow, Fred. To me, though, 2001 was like last year. It was. <laughs> it was exactly last year. Um, well, 2001 is almost old enough to drink. I <laughs> Stop. No, sorry. <laughs> um, so following his graduations from Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida, with a degree in musical composition, Rogers worked first for NBC and New York City and then for the public television station WQED in Pittsburgh. In 1954, he began what became a seven-year run of writing, producing, and serving as a puppeteer for the Children's Corner. 30 segments of the show were broadcasted on NBC in 1955-56. to 56. He earned uh, the Divinity Degree from Pittsburgh Theology Seminary 
and was ordained by the United State or United Presbyterian Church in the United States. That's surprising to me. I didn't know he was a minister. I didn't either. I mean, I can totally feel it now. <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, Rogers made his on-camera debut in 1963 on the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's Mr. Rogers, and in 1966 returned to WQED, where the show became Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. By 1968, it was being distributed nationally by uh, National Educational Television. And after the public broadcasting service um, succeeded NET in 1970, the program was renamed Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Which, so in the first, like, look, so in the first, the Mr. and Rogers was together. Oh, that's confusing. And then now it's Mr. Rogers. Not Mr. and Rogers. Yeah. Say it fast. I was like, wait a minute, what? So he began each episode by changing into one of the trademark cardigan sweaters while singing the show's theme song, Won't You Be My Neighbor? He then addressed the topic of the day and the process taught children how to get along with others, feel good about themselves, and cope with their fears. Besides producing, writing the scripts, and serving as a host, he wrote about 200 songs, including the theme songs for the program. Holy shit. Can you imagine? Yikes on the bikes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, God bless. I know, right? Uh, let's see. Some 1,000 episodes were made between 1968 and 2001. My eyes right now are <laughs> going to fold over the back of my head. Holy cow. And the last original episode was taped in December 2000 and broadcasting the following August following the September 11 attacks in 2001. However, Rogers once again appeared on camera to record public service announcements aimed at informing parents how they could help their children cope with the events. Rogers was honored with numerous awards, including four daytime Emmys, a Lifetime Achievement Award, and um, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Wow. Yeah, I mean, well, and wasn't there, there was a, he went to court, like, was it, was he going with like, was it the Congress or something? Remember that? Yeah. It was like fighting for public television. Yeah, he and was, like, yeah, because they were trying to like, oh, we don't need it anymore. And he's yeah. like, no, we still need, yeah. They were going to cut funding to mm-hmm. it. I think I learned that on VH1. <laughs> Remember like the, I love the, it's yes. the I love those. I loved that. I loved pop-up video. Pop-up video was my favorite. Mm-hmm. She's always been a weird info file trying to get all this <laughs> stuff in my brain that I can. I well, and I would like try and watch Mr. Rogers, but it was too slow of pace for me. I did love the intro. I mean, I think I do. I mean, I remember some of them because we didn't have cable. So that's what you watched. Right. There wasn't. I mean, we didn't have Netflix back then. No, we had to suffer through commercials and all that stuff, kids. And you had to be there at the time the program was showing. Mm-hmm. I did have, I remember my grandparents had a VHS, VCR, and they would record so much stuff. <laughs> so like if we went over there, like the first thing out of their mouths would be like, don't touch the TV, we're recording, insert. like, And it was always, is this a surprise to literally nobody, QVC. <laughs> because if it was something happening overnight that my grandma was going to miss... She recorded it. Oh, bless your grandma's heart. Bless her heart. There was a time that um, there was a time that when Pokemon was really big. Oh yeah, you know, remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, and we were watching it. We knew there was going to be like the Pokemon showcase, 
And so we watched and we wrote down the order numbers and called my grandma and we were like, can you order this stuff for us? And she did. Oh, well, that's It nice. was very expensive, but <laughs> that was when I always remember thinking that like the epitome of being um, an adult was being able to order stuff from television. Yes. Well, they made it easy because you always get were able to do it in four easy installments. Easy. And then you had to be 18 or over. Yeah. And now kids can just shout at their Alexa. Yeah. And order $15,000 worth of candy. Yeah. Or what was it? The the SpongeBob ice cream. Yeah. Pops. Yeah. Oh, I'd be so pissed. Oh, man. So another interesting thing we talked about in her episode was Broyhill furniture. And this information that I got for Broyhill comes from Wikipedia because it was one of the only places with the concise, not 400 pages of Broyhill history, which is interesting. I mean, that's a rich history. Rich history. But I nobody's here for but that much. But nobody wants to listen to us talk for four hours. <laughs> no. So the Broyhill, this was interesting to me. So James Edgar Broyhill was born in Boomer Township, <laughs> which is located in Wilkes County in North Carolina. And um, to a family whose origins traced back to England. So they were all born in this Wilkes County, North Carolina. And that's where the first um, manufacturing and um, factory of Broyhill actually started. So following his discharge from the army, Broyhill went to work for his brother, Tom, who was the owner of a furniture company in Lenore, North Carolina. And Broyhill served as a clerk and then a salesman. At the time, they were the key supplier of chairs, rockers, and benches, and they were called the Bernard Chair Company. But it burnt to the ground in 1926. So Broyhill mortgaged his house for $5,000 to found the Lenore Chair Company after the initial factory burned to the ground. And in June of 1927, Broyhill expanded the operation by agreeing to lease a blacksmith and buggy shop adjacent to a Carolina and Northwestern Railroad Depot. It was like taking some big swings. Yeah. For furniture. Which is interesting because I think Billy's family was also making furniture in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. I think if I'm remembering that correctly. And in 1929, Ed Broyhill and Tom Broyhill teamed up to purchase Harper Furniture. But the stock market crash of 1929 soon followed bringing about the Great Depression, which slowed their expansion efforts. During the Great Depression, they had some financial difficulties and they had a $100,000 consolidation loan. In That's a 1929 money. That's a lot that's of money. That's like a lot of money. That Broyhill secured in 1939 from a local bank helped the company survive to the end of the depression, which is like great, but wasn't it the bank's fault? So we also went into that depression for doing shit like that. I mean, yeah. Anyways, fast forward a little bit. And in 1941, Broyhill acquired the McDowell Furniture Company located in Marion, North Carolina and the Conover Furniture Company. So he's just buying all of these furniture companies from everywhere in North Carolina, which seems... I mean, like he was a go big or go home kind of guy. Really? Right. So the Conover Furniture Company, the acquisitions gave Broyhill another 150,000 square feet of floor space, machinery, and a large line of medium to low price furniture. That was like the whole shtick of Broyhill was to be affordable, middle class furniture, especially coming out of the depression. Yeah. And they added a sixth plant in 1942, acquiring the Wren Furniture Company. After and they oh, they looks from the looks of it they got all of these at bankruptcy auctions. I mean, right. 
1954, Broyhill built its first new plant on a 65-acre tract located just outside of Lenore. And in 1957, Broyhill established the Broyhill Premier Line. Following the creation of the Premier Line, Broyhill grouped the company's remaining products under the label Lenore House which featured more moderately priced furniture. So if you're a collector, those are some keywords you're going to be looking out for yeah. with Broyhill. So Broyhill made all of these different types of furniture, right? And like we said, there's a rich history of Broyhill. Right. And you can read through the rest of their, you know, when they go and they sell and incorporate and move out of the commercial furniture market and into more private sales. But I want to tell you guys some different ways to identify Broyhill furniture, mm-hmm. how to identify vintage furniture in the wild. So you can identify upholstered furniture such as recliners, love seats, and sofas by looking for the product label on the bottom of the piece. And you can have somebody help you lift the furniture while you check for the label underneath or just, you know, get a flashlight. Like, get on hey, your- Esther, could you help me real <laughs> quick? I need you to lift this up so I can check. And some Broyhill pieces also display the label on the frame where the back and the arms meet. My God. Right. Hey, where are we going to put this? I don't know. In the worst (laughs) place possible. Good idea. For wood chairs and tables, you want to look underneath for the Broyhill label. You'll either see a paper label or the product number stenciled onto the wood. Which both will probably be gone by now. I'm going to assume that the paper label is going to be on, especially if it was in a house with children, because children don't care. I mean, you when you see it peel just a little bit like that. I guess it's got to go. You've got to take it. And then on all other types of furniture, wood furniture, including bed frames, nightstands, cabinets, dressers, and benches, look for the stencil number or paper label on the back. And then to decode the label, once you found it, a Broyhill label will be in the format of like four X's and XX. So four numbers and then a hyphen and two numbers or letters. Oh. Or three dash three. Like three, oh. like that will be the way. The first four numbers are the furniture's group number and the last three numbers are the item number. Oh. So... When you're looking for them. And I think a lot of them too are, sorry, distracted. I think a lot of them also are, if you collect vintage furniture, you're going to recognize just like you will like an Eames lounge chair or yeah. like I a mean, tulip table. Different. The one she has was like very like, oh, yeah. And they're so cool. The fact that she could like interchange different parts of the furniture. And it's like, why did we get away from that? Why did we get such boring houses? Guys, bring it back. Mm-hmm. I'll buy a reproduction. I'm not afraid. <laughs> right. Well, and then in the 70s, so they had that wood and like composite type furniture. Yeah. And then in the 70s is when they started manufacturing more of the plastic type furniture that you see. And it was something that, so they were kind of like the American Ikea because customers were assembling the furniture themselves. Oh, yeah. They weren't buying it. Well, I mean, we're still doing that, right? Who's buying pieces put together unless it's on Facebook. Um, but in 1978, Broyhill launched the furniture that customers assembled themselves. And it was a line of wall units as well as upgraded their fabric patterns for its upholstered furniture lines. By the end of the decade, Broyhill operated 20 factories, 60 freestanding stores and 250 Broyhill showcase stores staffed by more than 7,500 employees. Holy shit. With annual sales of approximately $350 million. In 1978. In August of 1980, Broyhill was purchased by Interico Inc., a St. Louis-based manufacturer of shoes and clothing. And then he went on to have a political career, the Broyhill guy. I mean, why not? Why wouldn't you? He ran as... He was elected Southern Furniture Manufacturers Association and helped get price controls on furniture lifted. Which, that's surprising. There was a price control? I... Yeah. Wait, what? So he... Let's see. In the early days of World War II, Broyhill was named to the Furniture Industry Advisory Committee of the Office of Price Administration. 
There's an office for everything, isn't there? I want, I want that job. <laughs> in his capacity, Broyhill assisted in the determination of proper allocation of resources between the military and civilians. What? Yeah, I guess. In 1943, Broyhill was elected to the Southern Furniture Manufacturers Association and helped get those price controls lifted. Broyhill also served as a national committee man for North Carolina's Republican National Committee, committee <laughs> from 1948 to 1976. Wow. Wow. So it's a rich history, Jill. Yeah. Yeah. For Broyhill. For furniture. Which is, I mean, we say it every week. How surprising is that? <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's things that you look at, like we talked about, um, we've talked about in episodes before where it's all these things that you're looking at that you're not really realizing. No. And like Broyhill is not one I think, ooh, vintage furniture. Mm-hmm. But I probably should know. I always think the first thing that always comes to my mind because my family collected it was Lane furniture. Yeah, I can't remember what kind of furniture we had. Wicker. We did have wicker and we did have, I remember a weird plaid looking couch. Oh, right. Maybe. I don't know. I might be linking that up. We don't know. So there was another interesting thing we talked about in her episode, but it's very interesting and there's lots of different bits that tie into past episodes that we've had and past guests that we've had. Yeah. And we talked about uh, voice of music that player that she had and i want you guys to go read that and do that research because there's a huge following of voice of music yeah and they're well and we looked some up but it's like so detailed and so like Mm -hmm. enriched that it's almost like when we had hayden on it's like a hayden level of info dump we should get yeah we need somebody on that's a voice of music expert yeah because it's got like she said it has its whole fan base and then people selling dead stock and old like just yeah i didn't realize it was such a big thing no it's like i mean that's cool well, and it's almost like it was like when we had Terry and Eric both on the show. Oh, yeah. And it was like, I'm so I'm underwater. Yeah. I, don't I know just like that constant like, oh, oh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Because I was just like, I'm going to have to break this down later. Mm-hmm. But please, 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 please go on and look at her Instagram at Atomic Oh, Buffon. yes. It's, of course, going to be tagged in today's post like we always do for our guests. And go through and look at the stuff. It's a really fun, like scavenger hunt to like find something in the background and then go and google it and read about it she Mm -hmm. also just found at an estate sale this last weekend she found it's called a moss lamp and they were made at a like brief section of time and she like it was last day of the sale end of the day when you're making deals right and this lamp is on the table and it's a three shaded lamp that sits on a plexiglass base and at the time, it was when plexiglass was kind of like having its moment. Uh, oh. And it is, I'm pulling up a picture to show Jill. And they're called Moss Lamps because of the maker's name was Moss, not because they have Moss on them. Yeah, because that's what I was thinking. But the it was they were made during um, the time that there was like a shortage because of the war. Oh, yeah. So they have a ceramic figurine, but the shades are made out of spun glass. So they almost look like Lucite. I don't know if I want to see this. Right. And then they're on a plexiglass base because it was easy to work with and they could get it to fit and there wasn't a shortage on it. So you had these three shades that were made out of spun glass. Oh, And they were made to sit like on the corner of a table and then they have a ceramic That is so cool. So she just found one of those. Please, please, please go have a look at it because it's incredible. And her house is incredible. It's one of the things where it's like... It's so fun. Like, it's one of those houses you could stay like an hour and a half in mm-hmm. each room. And if you're local and not creepy, you can rent 
Yeah, so don't be creepy. Don't don't be creepy. If you're creepy, we're gonna come ground you <laughs> from your mom's shaking our fingers yeah, at you. Shaking. But that was all we had today yeah. for her curio corner. To see everything we talked about in today's episode, be sure to visit our Instagram at the Mothball Prophecies Original. Check out the new merch we have on our website at themothballprophecies.com. We have shipping locations now globally, so you don't have to wait forever for shipping from the United States. We have drop shipping in Europe, Canada, different parts of the world. It's really made it a beautiful thing that we switch to. Your support directly affects us here with the show and helps us keep bringing great guests to you with great sound quality. Yes. And we have, um, we've switched up our Patreon tiers just a little bit. Those two top tiers, the $25 and $35 tier, you now get to pick the fabric for your customized tote. We still have the sticker packs and key fobs and all of those lovely things coming to you. If you ever have any questions, feel free to shoot us a DM. Mm -hmm. And right now we want to take the time to thank our beloved patrons. Without you guys, we would be up shit creek. Yeah, we totally would. We really, really appreciate you guys. We have a lot of fun interacting with you guys on the Patreon and in our close friends group on Instagram. So we want to take this time to thank Emily in Nevada, Aaron in Wisconsin, RJ in Florida, Crystal in Nevada, Gina in South Carolina, Julia in Sweden, Jasmine in Kentucky, Kyla in Indiana, Shanna, Mandy, and Riley in California, Aaron, TC Lionel, Melissa, Christina, Erica, Becky, and Ashley in Idaho. To join our Patreon and to see the tiers and all the information, visit the link tree in our bio at the Mothball Prophecies original and as always a gigantic thank you to our support team gray really you make us sound good every week and spell check you make us look good on paper for real as always we hope you find some good shit and i hope you remember to look under the tables please bye see ya